You are listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Thanks for listening. This is Colin Smothers, Operations Director at CBMW, and I'm very excited to be joined in the studio today by Sam Albury. Educated at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford, Sam is an associate minister at St. Mary's Church, an Anglican congregation in Maidenhead, England. He is a well-known speaker and the author of several books, including Lifted, Experiencing the Resurrection Life, Connected, Living in Light of the Trinity, and Is God Anti-Gay? Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's good to be with you. So for our listeners who maybe are unfamiliar with your story, um, can you can you just start by sharing your testimony? You know, how did you become a Christian? How did the Lord call you uh, unto himself? Oh, happily. Um, yes, I became a Christian around the time I finished high school. Um, I hadn't really had any sort of serious Christian engagement before then, but had got to know some Christian peers and had started to go to their church youth ministry. And I think like many of us, um, when I first heard the message of Jesus, it, it wasn't the Christianity I had assumed it would be. There was, there was, it was far more compelling, far more interesting. And so very quickly, actually, after first attending, I realized that Christ had died for me, hmm. that I needed to, to follow him and to, for him to be Lord of, of my life. So I became a Christian probably around the age of 18, just around the time okay. I turned 18. Praise the Lord. I know I've I've read your book, uh, Is God Anti-Gay? And you kind of explained that this was about the same time that you uh, realized you had a, a struggle uh, with same-sex attraction. Can you kind of explain how those two things kind of kind of met and maybe consequences in, in your life and, and the way that the Lord uh, really used that to uh, continue to draw you to to himself? Yes. Um, yes. I, I, it took me a while to to really come to terms with experiencing same-sex attraction. Um, it was, this was 20, 25 years ago. And so it, it, the, the whole issue wasn't on our radar in the way that it is now. And therefore it wasn't the sort of obvious thing to immediately uh, kind of go to, to to make sense of what I was experiencing. So it took me a long time to figure out what was happening. Um, and not least because in my experience, the same-sex attraction has almost always come out of a, a very sort of deep emotional over-dependency. Mm. And so it's it's kind of mixed up with other things. So it took me a while to figure out that was uh, what was happening. And I guess the, the penny dropped, you use that phrase? Yeah, yeah. Um, around the time I became a Christian. And I'm, okay. I'm very grateful to God for the, the timing of that because I had a sense very early on in my Christian life that these wouldn't be desires it would be appropriate to explore and to, to kind of give expression to as a Christian. Um, and so I never really had the opportunity to kind of go down the path of, of being a practicing homosexual person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the first time I heard the sort of the, the Bible's teaching on on homosexuality, but I, I do remember having that conviction from the very early days of my Christian life that sex was for marriage and that marriage was between a man and a woman. And I didn't wrestle with that. That just struck me as as being what God said and, and, and made sense to me. So I I never wrestled in that sense with what the Bible taught. Um, I did wrestle with the fact that I was a Christian and having these feelings. Mm. And so it was actually a few years before I 
really felt I could say anything to anyone. Um, just doing the sums in my head. I think it was a good five or six years okay. into my Christian life before I told anyone what I was going through. Um, my my fear was that I'm not supposed to have these feelings of if I'm a Christian. I was worried that it would um, would just kind of disgust and appall other people if I told them. Mm. Um, and I was worried I might lose my Christian friends. And, and I didn't want to admit it to myself anyway. I, I thought the more I, if I talk about it, it'll become more real. Mm. And I just thought if I ignore it, it might go away. But um, over the years, I, I began to realize it wasn't going away mm. and that I, it was too much of a burden really to to carry on my own. And so did start to tell Christian friends and had a much uh, healthier sense at that stage in my Christian life that it was okay to be a Christian and to, to experience this particular form of temptation. Mm. Um, and that I didn't need to worry about Christians knowing that. Um, so that really marked the time when I began to engage most deeply with this issue as a Christian in community with other people who were encouraging me and helping me with it. So you became a Christian around the, the age of 18. At what point did you realize that the Lord was calling you into pastoral ministry and and what did preparation for that look like for you? Um, actually, it happened fairly quickly. Um, I remember, it's a funny old thing, I, growing up and particularly when I was a teenager, I had a a real fear of speaking in front of other people, any mm. kind of public speaking. Um, there were one or two moments in my high school career where I had to, and it was just, you know, I was sick with nervousness for, for days beforehand. And so it's it's funny that I've I've ended up being a pastor. Mm. But I remember doing a, a being interviewed in my church a few months after I became a Christian just to share my my testimony. And I remember th feeling the usual nerves about having to, to say anything in front of others. But at the same time, there was a new feeling, which was, I really want to share this with people. And that that marked a bit of a change. I, I now had something I wanted to say in front of, that was worth getting up in, in front of other people to say. And at the same time as, as that was happening, I, I just had a sense that the Lord wanted me to build up and strengthen other believers and that's that's obviously the vocation of all christian people but i had a sense that he particularly wanted me to that that, that was his vocation for me in a kind of special way i didn't know what that would map out to look like but i just knew that i i wanted to help other believers go deeper into their faith mm. to to see the goodness and joy of of the lord's word um, and, and christian belief and all those sorts of things um, during my time at university, I had opportunity um, to be involved in kind of campus ministry. Sure. We had our, our own Christian fellowship on campus. And really because there was, it was a small campus and, and not many Christians. Uh, so it was literally, there was no one else who was around who was happy to, to help run this thing. Mm. I ended up running it. And uh, that, I guess, gave me my first taste of of. Christian ministry in that sense, um, leading a Bible study, trying to teach others. And I, I knew I was pretty miserable at it, but I, I knew I really wanted to do it. And um, so, yes, over the, those first few years, that that gradually confirmed that that sense of God having put it on my heart deepened. Um, 
had the opportunity of of testing it out in my local church and having my pastors kind of steer me in that direction as well and then over time that led to applying in my case to train to be a pastor in the church of england that's fantastic so the uh the publication the the book that you wrote is god anti-gay um by no means your first work but the one that at least over on this side of the pond uh, you're you're well known for and uh can you just explain or or walk us through what did that project look like you know what was the impetus behind uh writing a book that that could help the church so so well um well i i had got to the stage where close friends and and family knew about my um kind of issues with same sex attraction i had no desire really to be any more open than that i i didn't think it was um, anyone else's business. It wasn't something I particularly wanted the, the rest of the world to know about. But I, I, f- I found over the, the next two or three years that I was seeing the church increasingly struggle to have a positive message on this issue. And I was seeing evangelical pastors, some of whom I had trained with, beginning to lose their nerve on the issue. And it was as if that a huge swathe of the evangelical world back home was beginning to think, maybe God's word isn't so good on this issue after all. Maybe we don't have good news for gay people. And so I just felt a burden to to say, hang on, from from the inside of this issue, I I really wanted to say to people, actually, God's word for me is good. Praise the Lord. Not easy, mm-hmm. um, frequently confounding, but always good. And so I sort of I thought and prayed with with our church leadership about doing that we were also encountering this issue pastorally as a church and some related issues which again just made us think in one sense it would be easier if i could just be open about the issue and say it was an issue for me as well so decided to to do that to share the issue with a, with my own church family and then a bit more widely and then the the publisher asked if i could do a, a short book on homosexuality where the format would be going through the kind of frequently asked questions. The whole thing would be under 100 pages. And I thought, actually, that that feels doable. I had done a mm-hmm. few, several Q&A sessions at different churches. I had a sense by that stage of what the big questions were that people were asking and had begun to sort of work my way through how to answer them. So it seemed natural to kind of put some of that in print and, and again, to be able to do so whilst also giving something of my own testimony as well um i was kind of conscious that i was both a a, a christian wrestling with this issue but also a, a pastor at the same time and and i think that's been a a combination that has helped it means i can and not just give personal testimony but but sort of i hope to sort of teach what the bible says on the issue help churches think through how to do ministry on it that kind of thing Absolutely, and and from one who has benefited immensely from the book, um, very pastoral in tone, and so really appreciate um, you know your handling of the issue. So so clear, yet so you know compassionate. Well, it was it was not easy to write. I've got to say, I I, I enjoy writing most of the time, but that was um it was a painful book to write. Um, Can imagine. So I'm I'm grateful for how the Lord has used it. So in your book, you mentioned that you you intentionally use the the term Christian with same sex attraction and and you you try to steer clear of the term gay Christian. Um so I was hoping you could maybe 
unpack that a little bit uh, for us, uh, maybe specifically with an eye toward someone who uh, is a Christian mm. and and would be um, would be maybe uh, wanting to to use the the term gay Christian instead of maybe mm. what you recommend. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think this is the the biggest issue in the whole wide world, but I certainly I I'm conscious that where I come from, the word the word gay means more than it's more than just a descriptor of sexual feelings it is often used as as a kind of an identity um and i i was very conscious that um my my sexual feelings were not remotely core to who i am that they're not my defining feature it's it's not a that's not the kind of key to my personhood and i didn't want to imply otherwise by saying gay christian i was also conscious that the word gay often means again a lifestyle as as well and so i didn't want to imply that this was what i was about either in how i saw myself or in the way i lived my life and it seemed to me that um saying well, i'm a christian who who happens to have the same sex attraction i hope just puts it in a in a sort of slightly healthier perspective i'm a, I'm a christian struggles with other things too um, absolutely lots of other things to say about who i am but uh, in terms of referencing this issue i think that's the it's a slightly wordier way of of putting it but i, I think it it to me is a it's just a slightly healthier way uh, yeah yeah and uh like you mentioned in your book you talk about um you know other appetites that we have and and those aren't summary appetites you know they're mm. and, and our main identity is um you know, as Christians, to be found in Christ. And I, I just thought that was a, a really helpful part of, of your book. Well, it's been the, the the single most helpful doctrine to me, actually, working through this issue has been union with Christ, because it, it, it speaks again to our identity, to who we really are. And um, it, it, it's been a huge, it's been practically helpful on so many of levels. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, so like I mentioned, you've you've written widely, actually. So you've written on the resurrection, you've written on um, the Trinity, so by no means easy doctrines to wrestle with. Um, but but I see that you you, you think theologically. Um, you you're able to to tackle these big issues um, and yet bring them down on a level that is that is practically helpful. So can you talk about how important is theology and theological thinking um, in your pastoral ministry and then um, w- when you minister to others uh, who maybe struggle with these things, um, how is how are those things informing your ministry? Um, God's truth is our, is our friend. So um, it's important that we know the scriptures, but it's important that as we read the scriptures, we, we build a framework on sort of how to think um, about different areas of life and, and meaning and truth. So, and again, it's it's part of my vocation as a pastor to help Christians in my church to, to kind of understand what God has said to us. And so one of my kind of, I guess one of my passions really, is trying to make doctrine that, that some Christians might think is obscure and abstract, actually to show how a, how, how good and beautiful it is, but also just how transforming it is to know these things. Um, the, the Trinity in particular, we can too easily think it, it's just one of those things that we're supposed to know and then stick it in a drawer and, you know, mm-hmm. bring it out every time we say mm-hmm. the creed. But actually, the Bible applies the Trinity in lots of practical ways to everyday life. Absolutely. 
ditto with the resurrection, ditto with, with so many other things. And so really, I've, I've, I've just been wanting to try to show Christians it, it is relevant to your Christian life to know that God is triune. Um, it is relevant to your Christian life to know that, that Jesus is alive, uh, many other things besides. And, and actually, in pastoral ministry, doctrine, doctrine helps enormously. So one of the questions that often comes up with, with homosexuality is, you know, what if, what if the science ever, you know, lands on the fact that we, that we are born with a disposition towards same-sex attraction of, of one kind or another? And again, my, my understanding of the theology helps me there because I have a doctrine of, of the fall of, of man, of, of original sin, that gives me a framework for thinking, well, something might seem innate to me, but that doesn't make it right because I know I'm born with a fallen nature. That's right. And so actually doing some doing some some thinking and study around some of these issues can be hard work and, and often is hard work, but actually you then realise, actually this is God teaching me how to think about the issues that come up in life. Um, and And nothing... I learn about God or about human nature is is going to be without practical application because I live in God's world as one of his his creatures. So good. Since the publication of your book, um, Is God Anti-Gay, uh, several books have hit the market. So I think um, the original uh, running of the book was, was it 2012 or 2013? Uh, 2013. Okay. Yes, July and then since then, it's it's gone through several uh, editions. But but one book, uh, notably, that's uh, that's been written since is Matthew Vine's um, God and the Gay Christian. And so I was wondering if if that book had been published before yours, um, would you have written anything differently in Is God Anti-Gay? I, I don't think I, I might have done. I don't think anything sub substantially different because, again, the format was such that I was, I was trying to address key questions in a, in a very short space of time. Um and to, to deal with some of the ways in which people try to claim that the Bible affirms same-sex behaviour and, and that kind of thing. Um, interestingly, since the, the book first came out, some the questions have begun to shift in, just in the last couple of years, sure. much more now on gender identity and how that fits into to all of these issues, more on should I be going to a gay wedding, that kind of thing. Um, so I have done a second edition of the book and, and I discovered there are two or three blank pages at the end. So I said to the publisher, could I just stick in a couple of extra questions and sure. fill, the, fill the blank pages of it? Um, Matthew Vine's book uh, is warrants reading because it, it's probably the, the strongest case someone's made for same-sex relationships from the Bible. I don't agree with his his conclusions, but I think he... It's, it's a kind of argument we need to be aware of and, and, and engaging with. And actually, I was conscious when I first read his book, it needed a, a, a longer treatment in response than, than something like my book would give. My book is really just the, the primer. So I was very, I even remember thinking, we need a Kevin DeYoung type book <laughs> on this issue. So yeah, yeah. when Kevin DeYoung started writing a Kevin DeYoung type book, I was, <laughs> I was absolutely delighted. That's right. That's um, right. And a, a being pleased to recommend his book far and wide. Um, so, yeah, it's good for us to be aware of, of some of the issues, um, people, are, some of the arguments people are using to justify homosexual behaviour within the sort of broadly evangelical world. But I, I think those arguments are 
are very deeply flawed and yeah are not honoring fundamentally what we what we see in the scriptures and, and i'm not just saying this because this is a, a cbmw podcast but actually that the gender complementarity and marriage is is the issue on this it, it's not the the kind of six passages on homosexuality actually we think what we think about homosexuality because we think what we think about marriage and that you know i, I just think you cannot unhook a, a, an authentically distinctively christian understand understanding of marriage from gender complementarity jesus puts the two together in matthew 19 echoing genesis 1 and 2 and that for me is actually the even if we didn't have Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and all the rest of it, we would still know what to think about homosexuality just from Absolutely. The, the biblical doctrine of marriage and, and gender complementarity. Yeah, uh, great segue into my next question because, um, you know, this being a, a CBMW podcast, complementarianism is something that is, you know, front and center, and, and, and we, we try to... Um, you know, unpack the ways that this touches on a variety of different issues, but specifically, what about um, complementarianism is able to be is able to speak into you know Christians struggling with with same sex attraction? Um, what about complementarianism? And, and I know you already um, talked a little about about this, but can you go a little bit deeper in what is what is good about complementarianism? What why why are you calling yourself a, a complementarian. Why are you, hmm. you know, coming to our conference and, and you know, leading a plenary uh, session on, or in the spring for our T4G pre-conference? Um, what about this vision um, is compelling to you? Fundamentally, it is what God says in, in Scripture. So I, I, when I first became a Christian, I, I wouldn't have been complementarian. All my, my default settings had been kind of set by, by culture and it's intuitive in our culture to be egalitarian. It, it makes intuitive sense. And so I, I know for myself, I kind of, I, my, my initial thinking as a, as a young believer was, why, why would Christians have any other view than that? Mm. But um, I just hadn't got to those parts of the Bible yet. And um, the Bible to me seems very clear on these, on these matters about God's design for, for men and women and, and our, equality and difference and, and complementarity so i'm i'm persuaded from the scriptures that that is the truth of the issue and therefore that alone settles it for me if scripture is our authority then i i need to be complementarian in my theology but the bible doesn't just say we should be complementarian it gives us a it it shows us the goodness of that framework and it shows us the way in which it actually echoes something of of God's character himself that actually within the Trinity we see unity in difference not unity in sameness and how God has reflected that within the church that we are one even though the body is made of, of many parts and we see that within within marriage and, and gender relations that actually you have a a unity that works because it's unity in difference not unity in sameness mm. and obviously we, we see in in the Bible how marriage is a uh, a pointer, a reflection of a visual aid of of Christ's relationship to the church, and therefore again, there's a there's a there's a complementarian nature at the heart of all of that. Mm. 
And so I don't think we've always communicated that well as, as complementarians. Sometimes sure. I think we've we've taught the negatives more than we've taught the positives. But actually that the positives are very, very positive. This is this is a a, a picture of 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 something beautiful. Mm. Actually it gives us a framework for embracing difference. And you, you compare that to other worldviews and you you begin to see why it's a very precious thing. Um so I and I yeah, I think it God's God's way is always going to be the way that leads to a flourishing, properly understood. Uh and therefore it's not just a well, the Bible says it, so we've got to grit our teeth and kind of hang in there with it. It's it's a good doctrine. It it's um it's healthy for us to be complementarian. Yeah, I thought it was so profound the way you put it in in your book. Um, you know, talking about the revelation in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's not a mathematical, you know, appellation, but c- can you unpack that a little bit for for those that haven't read that particular sec- uh, section? It's it's so hmm. good that um, unity and diversity that you were just speaking of. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but I, I remember <laughs> reading about how when it says the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The, the word, the Hebrew word for one, then I forget what it is off the top of my head, but it, it's not so much about kind of numbers. You know, God is one rather than seven or twelve or something else. It it's to do with with unity, with wholeness, with with integration, with with being of a piece. So it's not just that there's one God and only one God, though that is implicit um within that as well but it's more to do with the fact that this this god has a unity to him and the same word is is used i i recall in in genesis when it talks about adam and eve becoming one mm. um again it's um a sense of of depth of unity and and integration mm. and it's important in our understanding of who god is because it means that there is complete integrity in all that god is and says and does and that is different to us um you know our words all the different things that i I will say over the course of of even a week don't all fit together um you might have a boss who is giving you too many things to do and you think well i i can't do that bit of what you're saying because i'm too busy doing this other thing of what you're saying we don't ever have that tension with god his word always hangs together that's right his truth is always integrated and it's lovely just again to see something of that that beauty of of unity of coherence being mapped onto human relationships in in marriage um and so that the husband and wife are are one not just because they've been mashed into one singularity but because actually God has woven their difference and into an integrated whole that is is beautiful so Sam, there there may be some listeners um, who are tuning in to, to Danvers Audio who find themselves maybe with similar struggles as yourself. And uh, real quick, is there is there anything that you'd like to uh, to say to them? Uh, words of encouragement, um, words of hope that uh, you'd like to share? I think one of the most important things to say is that th- this issue really is no different to any other issue that that Christians face. Absolutely, uh, it is. We have the same framework for dealing with this form of temptation that we would apply to any other form of, of sexual temptation. So I, I think I would say to someone, don't don't think this puts you in a in a unique category that, that other Christians aren't in. It's a good word. Um you're you're no more 
you're not, you're not a worse sinner because you experience this form of temptation than, than anybody else. And the way forwards with this issue is not different um, than any other issue. That The way forward is is grace, the gospel, the, the, the people of God. All the, all the regular means of grace are what you need. You don't need some special other kind of way of, of dealing with this. So, Sam, I know that uh, reparative therapy has been in the news lately, specifically with regards to the, the conference going on right now, the ACBC conference. So really quickly, can you define reparative therapy and then uh, specifically outline your position on reparative therapy? Sure. As, as I understand it, reparative therapy um, says that that homosexuality is essentially a developmental issue. Something has gone wrong in your early development that has led to homosexual feelings and, and experiences. And that because of that, it, it needs to be treated by particular forms of counselling and therapy to kind of try to undo what happened early on in childhood and, and kind of make things right again. Um, my, my, my two problems with that are, are firstly, I, I don't think homosexuality is essentially a developmental issue. There, there are people I know where there have been obvious developmental things that have fed into it, possibly even caused it. But I know so many people who have not had difficult childhoods or tricky relationships with their parents or anything like that. It, and the, it actually, it, it, it's just another expression of our fallenness. Um, and the, the goal of reparative therapy seems to me to be kind of heterosexuality or bust. Hmm. And the, the danger of that is it makes a kind of heterosexual lifestyle the goal of the Christian life. And the Bible doesn't call us to heterosexuality. It calls us to holiness. That's right. Um, Heath Lambert was saying at the conference yesterday that actually nowhere are we commanded to just generally be tra- attracted to people of the opposite sex. We're, we're called to be faithful to our spouse in marriage. Uh, we're not called to kind of be generally turned on by the other by the other gender. And so my my problem with with reparative therapy, as I've encountered it, is that it it makes the wrong thing the goal of the Christian life, and then tries to get there the wrong way. Um, and that the change. The change I'm most interested in as a Christian, the change that the Bible does promise and the change that matters the most is becoming more like Jesus. And so it's more important that I learn to become more like Jesus out of a context of experiencing same-sex attraction than that I become opposite-sex attracted. If all my... If all my kind of sexual feelings changed overnight and I suddenly found myself attracted to, to women and not to men, I would still battle with sexual temptation. It would be of a different kind. Um, but actually, that that's that's not necessarily a change forwards. That's just a kind of change from one theatre of battle to another. Um, the change that matters the most isn't homosexual to heterosexual, but from being a being a sinner to being more like Jesus. And that's the that change the Bible does promise as we keep in step with the Spirit and as we seek to follow Christ. Wow, fantastic, fantastic. Sam, thanks so much for, for coming on. But before we close, we'd like to ask all of our uh, all of our guests kind of what's next. You know, what, what's, what's on your horizon 
as far as maybe projects, you know, publications, or maybe in, in your pastoral ministry? What does the next couple of years look like for Sam Albury? Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out um, <laughs> in, lots of, in lots of respects. Um, I, one of the things I'm hoping to, to do in the next few months is um, a lot of the discussions I've had with people in different places on homosexuality have thrown up, I think, areas where the church could be stronger than it is on, on singleness, understanding it, honouring it, supporting those who are single. So I'm, I'd love to give some time and thought to that whole side of things. Wow. And am I correct uh, in saying that you do have a, a book coming out shortly? I do, yes. Um, James For You, uh, which uh, is, is due out, I think, in the States here, either in December or, or January. Fantastic. Well, looking forward to getting my hands on that. Again, Sam, thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule and, and meeting with us today. That's a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please visit us at cbmw.org, where you will find more resources to equip you to think biblically. We would also like to tell you about an exciting upcoming opportunity at CBMW. In April, we will be hosting a T4G pre-conference, The Beauty of Complementarity. The event will feature 27 speakers in two days, including John Piper, Jackie Hill Perry, Mary Cassian, Alistair Begg, and Darren Patrick. Please visit our website for more details. Again, thanks for listening.